Dawson Trotman was converted at age twenty and gave thirty years to vigorous pursuit of the goal to know Christ and make Him known. He gave his life while saving another from drowning in 1956. Dawson was a man who believed God, who asked Him for great things, and saw God answer. The ministry of the navigators is one of those answers. It began when another man asked God to teach him the principles he saw practiced in Dawes' life. Dawson Trotman now explains what is the greatest need of the hour. The need of the hour, what is it? Now that depends upon who the person is that's thinking about it. And I listed here nine things that are often considered the need, the greatest need of the hour. I even used this illustration. I mean, if I'm walking along the street and here's a beggar and he's got a tin cup, what's the need of the hour? Two bits. Uh, if a woman is being taken to the hospital, what's the need of the hour? A doctor. But in Christian work, what is the need of the hour? And I began to list here the things that very often we feel that it is the need, and if we had that supplied, our troubles would be over. With some, they say, well, I, the work is expanding. If I just had a larger stack, we have, we have almost twice as many here this year as we had last year. Well, we're still in need. Would more staff be the answer? I know that today many, uh, many a minister would like to have an assistant. I know that many a mission would like to have so many more missionaries. Give the one big thing that the, the cry of the returned missionaries is more to fill our ground. The need of the hour. With others, they may say, well, uh, we don't need more workers, but if we had better facilities, if we just had more office space and more buildings and bigger grounds and a base of operations, if we had a place like Glenary, then we could do the job. Some would say, well, if we just had a training center, if we had a, if we had a, a spot at which we could gather our workers together and indoctrinate them on the job to be done. Others are saying, well, it's communications we like in certain areas of the world, or better transportation, or better means to take care of health. That's a mission problem, isn't it? And the need of the hour in many a mission field today is, is merely a radio. But if you get that radio, there's another need and something else and something else. More equipment. Many places they feel it's literature. I hear that cry in my travels all over the world. We just lack literature. I know places today where they're saying, if we could just get in for years, you people have been sitting at the door of Nepal and saying, if I could just get in. To them, the greatest need of the hour is a door in, into Nepal. Right now, there are hundreds of people who say, if we could just get into China, Now, the Bible says that my God shall supply all your needs. And if the need is for an open door into China, why doesn't God open it? These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shut and shut it, and no man open. I have set before thee an open door. Paul found closed doors, but closed doors to him weren't the problem. Those were an assistance to know which way to turn to get to the doors he wanted them to go into next. I really believe that. And I believe if God wanted to put his hand over the continent of China or the great country of China tonight and turn the Reds into confusion so they started killing each other, which a good deal of which they are already doing, he could do it, and I believe in 48 hours the door could be opened to China. If God wanted it, 
And there are a lot of people today getting the gospel in the islands of the sea and in the South Seas that weren't getting it until that door was closed. I believe the door is going to open again. I know a lot of people that says we've had it. That's the end. We'll never get in again. I can't quite feel that. I feel that the hundreds and the thousands that are finding the Savior and growing in grace and learning the word in Formosa today are just some of the future evangelists for all over China. That's just a conviction. I don't. I have no proof. But some say, some say, if we just had more time, if I just had more time. With others, if I just weren't so old, if I were young again. I've had a lot of people tell me, they don't, if I knew what, what, what I know now, when I was 20 years old, I could, I could have done a, a hundred times more for the Lord. How come I didn't get it? The need of the hour. Of course, the biggest of all is dollars. If I just had money. Because money is the answer to a larger staff and more facilities and a training center and communications and transportation. If I just had money. What is the need of the hour? Frankly, I don't think it's any of this. I think that the God of the universe is in control of all these things and that he will give at the right time and the right place, everything that is needed to do the job that he wants done when the man is ready to do it. Does that make sense? I am absolutely sure that God was capable of moving the children of Israel out of Egypt 40 years earlier than he did. How do you think a loving God in heaven could sit up there and hear the cry by reason of the taskmasters of the children of of Israel when all of the people your age that were crying for that were old men ready to die when they finally get out and probably some of them flip on the way? How could he do it? There was a bigger thing in God's mind than getting a little group of the Jews out of Egypt. What is the need of the hour? Well, as I thought of all of these things, it brought me to something which I didn't even intend to preach on when I announced that subject. You know what I was going to say? It isn't down there. I was going to say the need of the hour is to train men that knew a job and knew how to start. But I don't even think it's that. I think that all of these things are needed and then God will supply them in his own way, in his own time, all else being right. How many of you want to guess what it is? What is the need of the hour? Because I'm going to tell what I believe is. I don't know whether I should call it the need of the hour. Maybe I should call it the answer to the need of the hour. But there's an answer, and I believe it's this. I believe it is simply that as we have dedicated ourselves to the Lord, to the service of Jesus Christ, and to the accomplishing of the thing that's on his heart, to get the gospel to every creature, that the greatest need of the hour is for an army of soldiers for Jesus Christ that believe not only that he's God, but that he can fulfill every promise he's ever made. And to believe that there isn't anything too hard for them. I was in Germany for a little while. And I only had about five days, six days in Germany on my first trip, which was in 1948. And someone said, Colonel Maddox could help you. And Colonel Maddox at that time was head of all chief of all the chaplains of Europe, some thousand chaplains. And he's now Billy Graham's secretary. But at that time he was chief of chaplains. And somebody gave me a recommend and a letter and I wrote him and said, I want to come into Germany. I want to do a, a job. I have a few days to do it. I want to come by and see you and I want your help. Well, I couldn't even get into Germany. 
But a word from Colonel Maddox to the general of the whole European area brought a letter which got me in. It let me fly into Berlin. Let me get on a plane and fly over Red China, uh, Red Germany, into Berlin. Somebody forgot to, to check my deal when I went in, and when I went to come out, I found out that I was supposed to have a Russian shop in my passport so I could get back to show I'd flown over. And I didn't have it. Somebody slept. When I came out, they said, well, you couldn't have got in without it. I said, but I don't have it. Yeah, but it must be someplace because you couldn't have got in here. Well, I did, I said. <laughs> and i got to be out of here tomorrow. <laughs> without that chop, it's going to take you weeks. I said, but I can't wait. i got to go tomorrow. So I had to go down to the Red to the Russian legation and I got some people praying and what was supposed to take two weeks took two hours and I got out all right because they came on a train through the land. I found I'd gone in on a VIP status and therefore got a lot of service simply because it was the order of a general. But one of the things that Colonel Maddox did for me was to arrange for a big suite of rooms, a room with leather chairs in the Carlton Hotel. And there came the, and then he loaned me a secretary who wrote letters to 50 Germans in various parts of Germany, and I invited them to meet with me, and 25 of them came from many cities, and I had them three days. And I talked to these Germans every evening for three hours in English. Everyone was well enough educated in New English well enough so that I didn't need an interpreter. And I began to lay before them the Great Commission and the fact that I felt that Germany not only needed to hear the gospel, that Germans needed to pay the Great Commission themselves and send missionaries. And the, the minute I started preaching, uh, I gave them the privilege of raising their hands during the meeting, and every once in a while a hand would go up. And I would be talking about getting the message. And one German spoke up and said, But Mr. Trotman, you don't understand. Here in Germany, right in this room, and we are some of the favored people. Some of us don't even have an Old Testament. We only have a New Testament. Now what I was trying to lay on them was the very thing the Lord laid on the hearts of the twelve, or the eleven. Because it was in the Mount of Olives where he drew the eleven aside and said, Go to every creature. Make disciples of every nation. Start in Jerusalem and go to the ends of the earth through the three, through Luke, Mark, and Matthew. But this man says, but we don't even have an Old Testament. I said, but when Jesus Christ gave these commands, they didn't even have a New Testament. Pretty soon we were talking along and one of them said, but Mr. Trotman, we have very few good evangelical books in this country. In America you have thus and so. I said, the disciples didn't have a single book. We talked along a little further, and one of them said, yeah, but is it true that you in America, any place you want to, can tune on a dial almost in any big city at any time of day and hear the gospel? I said, yes. They said, if we had that, but we can't get the message out on any radio. I said, the disciples had never heard of what a radio is. <laughs> they said, you have automobiles. We ride bicycles. I said, the disciples didn't have bicycles. They rode a borrowed burro. <laughs> now, these questions didn't come up one right after the other, or they'd have caught on, but they rose up in the nine hours of speaking. Finally, one young fellow, a boy, Traugott Vogel, and incidentally I heard from him the other day, a boy who'd found the Savior. His father was a Nazi officer, and after the war, the Austrians shot him, and he had to dig a hole and put his dad in and cover it. And at the grave, this boy said, Oh, God, if there's a God, reveal yourself. And youth for Christ had led him to Christ. And I came along, and he became a Timothy to me. I think you met Traugott, didn't you? Anyway, Traugott spoke up, and he said, In America, you have money. He says, I work 12 hours a day for 60 cents. Every night I was taking him down to the PX and buying him the thickest steak I could get for about 75 cents with PX money. As, a, as I've been given that. And we were having a wonderful time of fellowship, but he says, I make 60 cents in 12 hours 
We don't have money. I said the disciples were sent out without curse and without script. And every excuse in the books was brought up. Every one of the things. We, we don't have this and we don't have that and we don't have buildings and we don't have facilities. And each time I'd go back and I'd say, but the twelve didn't and he sent them out. Then finally near the end one fellow got up and he was a little older and almost with a look of, of, of uh, a bitter look on his face he said, Mr. Trotman, you in America have never had an occupying force in your land. I don't know what he calls the British, but... but <laughs> He said, you don't know what it is to have soldiers of another country roaming your streets. Our souls are not our own. I said, the disciples lived with the time Jesus Christ lived. And I said, they weren't their own. The Roman soldiers were in charge. And then it dawned on me, as I had never thought about, that when Jesus Christ started the eleven out, he let a situation be in existence that was so bad it could never be any worse. No printing presses, no automobiles, no radios, no televisions, no telephones, no buildings, not a single, not one single church, no uniforms, nothing for the vestry. He didn't even leave them a little emblem. He left them nothing. But with it, he said two things. He said, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go! Ye therefore. What does the therefore mean? The therefore means because I have the power to give you the order, and I have the power to back you to the hilt. All power in heaven and in earth, not just heaven, but in earth, all power, not part of the power, but all power, which means power over the Romans and power over the common. All power is given unto me. Go ye there and teach all nations. Now Jesus Christ had said earlier to the same little group, not very many days earlier, it was at the Last Supper that he was talking to him. And he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, He that what? He that believeth on me. He that what? Believeth. believeth on me. The works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Now, how many of you believe that statement to be true? See your hand. How many must say that for a moment it makes you stop and wonder could it possibly be true? That the Son of God would say to a human being, the things that I do shall you do, and greater things than these shall you do. But was it true? And very often when Jesus Christ was going to make an astounding statement that was hard to believe, he'd begin it with verily, verily, which meant truly, truly, which which doesn't mean that it made it any more true because he said that, but it was a mere expression to do what? Awaken the unbeliever to the fact that this incredible thing was true. Verily, verily, I say unto you. He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also and greater now, I honestly believe with all my heart that the reason so many wonderful Christians don't accomplish any more in their lives they never expected. They never came to the place where they believed that the all-powerful one who commissioned them could enable them to do it. And in what respect was this given? This was given in respect to the Great Commission. Because this was a lead up to the last thing he said. And the last thing he said was, All power is given unto me, and I'm giving you your orders now. Now go 
and teach all nations, see that every created being hears the word. Now, gang, we think it's going to be tough to do that with the printing press and with the radio and with the airplane and with modern medicine. We think that's going to be tough, don't we? What do you think they thought it was? How did they do? How did they do, fellas? When Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, I thank my God that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. When he wrote to the Thessalonian church that he started and told how that they'd received the word and they hadn't received it in weakness but in power and in the Holy Ghost in much assurance. And he said, and not only that, but from you sounded out the word of, of the Lord not only in Frankfurt and in Germany, In all Europe, but under, he says, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith, you Thessalonians, who aren't even as strong as the Bereans, you Thessalonians, your faith is spoken of everywhere so that we need not to what? Come on. Didn't have to go back to so thoroughly did. Now how did it go? Not telephone, not television, but tell a person. That's the only thing they had. It was as simple as that. And everyone who was to tell a person, I doubt whether they had to tell them. I suppose if they had the wheel in those days, they didn't have to have four spokes. If you found a cure for cancer and you took the cancerous patient and you said, now there are several things we're going to do. We're going to cure you. The first thing to cure you, we've got to have you. Come on over. And the second thing is we want you to lie down. And the third thing we want you to do is swallow this. And the fourth thing we want you to do is after you swallow it, you're healed, get up and walk. And they gave them two or three things that were that they ought to do to remain strong. Do you suppose they'd have to tell them and go find another cancerous patient and come? Or do you suppose they just do it automatically? I doubt whether you'd have to put that spoke in the way. How can you help it? I cannot, but speak the thing which I have seen and heard is the impelling force and that's how it spread and it did spread and they didn't need the printing press and they didn't need materials one of the boys that we sent to Europe and I had quite a little discussion over emphasis in Europe and I kept saying well look work, 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 work with the say that uh, uh, Keep them the identity. Let's call them the the uh, Slavics. It wasn't there, but I said work with the Slavics and win some Slavics. He said, but Goss, we don't have the berations in Slavic, and we don't have the IR pack in Slavic, and we don't have the TMS in Slavic, and we don't have the KLBs in Slavic. And, and he spent his time months and months and months on these things. They have the New Testament in Slavic. And, I, and every year I'd go back and I'd say, but where are your Slavokians? <laughs> well, I've been busy at the printers. I've been busy with the translation. I've been with... And I was home about three years after this. And he wrote and he said, Doss, I'm laying it on the table. We need $2,000. We need a thousand dollars to print up the materials in Slavic and a thousand in Slavic. That was another. One. <laughs> okay. I wrote back and I said, "Forget the translations and get a few of the Slavics and the Slavics hiding the word of God in their hearts." 
He wrote back and said, Doss, in America, would you win a sailor to Christ? He'd been a sailor. He said, you've got the V-Rations and you've got the IR pack and you've got the TMS. He says, we don't have it and we're hindered. And I wrote back and I said, when the navigator work started and we had Spencer and Harris, we didn't have the TMS either. They had a New Testament. And they had enough drive so that if I take a pencil and circle a verse and tell them not to come back until they had that verse before they got the next one, they could learn it. And you're not going to make your disciples out of guys that's going to have a cute little pack before they'll get down to this. Maybe the greatest, the, the greatest problem today is that we can put in printed form that which ought to come from lip to, to heart, lip to ear and heart to heart. And we de-emphasize materials and people can't understand that when we have so many of them. They are the tools. And a tool is helpless. Here may be all the tools necessary for a major operation. And here's a young fellow studying medicine. And here's a real old doctor over here and all he's got is a pair of a razor blade and a plain ordinary crooked needle and some, some store strength. I'll put myself for this boy for an operation and this boy over here with all these toys, wouldn't you? It's not the tools. It's the man that's got them in his hands. I've heard of operate. I, I had a man tell me of performing his first appendectomy with a plain pocket, dull pocket knife and store strip. And it was successful. And he had to look, he didn't know really where to look for the appendix when he got in there. <laughs> By that I mean that God sometimes takes a beginner, and if he doesn't have much to begin with, he'll help even that one. But we can go on. What is the need of the hour, gang? I tell you, the need of the hour is to believe that our God runs this old universe. And that when God said in, a, in, in, in Isaiah 11, 9, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He meant it, and that's exactly what's going to happen. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Today, more people know about Jesus Christ in a lot of our civilized countries than they ever did because of the, of the radio thrust and of the Billy Graham thrust. See? But they only know about him. They don't know him. But the book says in Isaiah 11, 9, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How much is that, you? How much, is, how much does the waters cover the sea? Every square inch? Do you think that every square inch of sea has water in it? <laughs> Give that boy two silver dollars. <laughs> yes. You have no illustration that's more complete as the waters cover the sea. That's how the every single nook and corner of this earth and every tongue and tribe and nation is going to hear about not only Jesus Christ, but the glory of and now there's a lot of work to be done. And Jesus Christ is going to have to give the communists a little beating in the meantime. Just when and where, I don't know. But all I want to know is, whenever he's ready, he can do it. And I found a passage over here in Isaiah, 14th chapter, that talks about Satan, Lucifer, being kicked out of heaven. Because he said, I'm going to ascend into the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to the sides of the pit in the very chapter that tells about the existence of the greatest enemy of the Christian. The man who inspires these great ungodly movements. In that very same chapter you read on down a ways and it says the Lord of hosts has sworn saying surely as I have thought so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed Socialist. Right? In the 27th verse. 
The Lord of hosts hath purpose, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? And I think one of the first things we ought to do for ourselves and those we teach is to bring them to this verse. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among us, among you, by us, even by me and Sylvanus and Timotheus, even by Billy and, and Sammy and a convert, that the Son of God, who was preached among you by us, is not yea and nay, but in him is yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, to the glory of God. And if I have run across any one weakness in the world, around the world, among believers today, it's how little they believe in the ability and the power of God to overcome all obstacles and to provide all needs. What is the need of the hour? Are any or all of these your need? <laughs> They're not needs. Those are simply opportunities if you need them for God to supply in the amount you need at the moment. Does that make sense? Do you follow me? I see puzzled look on your faces, as though you're wondering, what's he driving at? The need of the hour is to believe that thy God reigneth. Say it. Thy God Say it, my God Okay, the, the rain isn't coming down and you feel it should and you've got crops. Can he send it if it's necessary? And if he doesn't, can you say, thank you, Lord? That's what he wants. In everything you think. And you don't have any that he can't supply. If he doesn't supply it, I can think of only one reason why he doesn't. You can say it in one word. What is it? Unbelief. Is it knowledge? Is it strength? God can do more through a weakling who's yielded and trusting than he can through a strong man who isn't. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings. All the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, to the glory of God by us. Look at Second Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. I would rather have the fellows, the girls, the preachers, the seminary students that came to Glen Erie go away with this one thought, securely fixed in their mind as never before. That they would say, God, I'll never come to the place where I'm going to let the lack of anything tell me that you're being hindered. I would rather you'd go away with that in your heart than to know being about any methods or materials or ideas that we may have to share with you. Listen. So you're not getting the job done because your people aren't back of you. So you're not doing it because of a certain few deacons. So you're not doing it because uh, you don't have the good material. You don't have it because well, you don't have, you need a secretary, and your church can't afford it. I, I, you got an excuse if you want. You got more than an excuse. You got hundreds of. That isn't what's holding us back. It's the fact that we don't live and preach the fact that he's on the throne. 
He's running the show. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto God's people, How beautiful on the mountains are those that preach the gospel. How beautiful are those that tell God's people, your God's alive, and you don't have the need he can't supply. All of our problems, all of our difficulties are in the plan if we're trusting the Lord. How many of you believe that? Honestly, without going into it. Some of you don't. Or maybe you don't want to answer because you didn't understand the question. How many of you believe Romans 8.28 then? Let me put that. How many believe that all means all? Then if all things work together for them that good to them that love God, then that missed airplane or that broken down tail assembly or something else? The need of the hour, as far as I'm concerned, people is to believe that God is God. And that he's a lot more interested in getting this job done than you and me. And therefore, if he's more interested in doing it, and he has all power to do it, and he's commissioned us to do it, our business is to obey him and set out in the direction, not of getting our little corner, but of getting the world for him and trusting him to help us do it. Because the Lord could have easily given the disciples this job. He could have easily said to the twelve, Listen, you fellows are only eleven men. <laughs> you twelve are only eleven men. Uh, you fellows are only eleven. And you don't have many facilities. And all I want you to do is start the fire in Jerusalem. But he didn't say that. And let this young man right here testify to the fact that he is glad that Thomas, one of the twelve... Believed Jesus Christ that he was to go to the uttermost part of the earth. Is that right? Do I understand that the Mark Toma church, that the Toma comes from Thomas the disciple? And that you, you trace your origin back to the fact that one of the twelve went down there and started the work 1900 years ago. And that the largest church in India is there as a result of that. Is that right? Correct. Aren't you glad Jesus Christ didn't say to Thomas... I don't have a DC-6 yet. <laughs> and I believe that any man who's going to believe Jesus Christ for this, and every, any girl, has got to take the big job. And if God wants to do less with you, all right. You shall be witnesses. You shall be witnesses unto me in some place. Where? Not either Jerusalem or Samaria or Judea, or on the foreign field, you fellows are to be witnesses unto me if you have the Holy Ghost which I'm going to give you which all of you have got. And after you're saved, you're to be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria. Cliff, forgive me. You're a minister. But I believe I have a right to look you in the eye and say that you have a responsibility for people in other nations, though you have a responsibility to your pastor. Am I right? That you've got to be concerned, and probably the only basis on which you can stay back from getting on, 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 out, is because by a greater strategy, you and your church can train the lay people to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ in Pittsburgh and all Pennsylvania and under the uttermost part of the earth and by reason of your leadership get the, the people of your church giving even as you do to foreign missions is that right but I know that some of you don't expect the Lord to do very much you can have it. thou thyself hast decided
I believe the need of the hour is to believe what Jeremiah said he believed to the Lord. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made all things. How's it go? Jeremiah 32, 17. I'll read it for you. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. And I suppose every one of us can say that. And we can look up into the face of the Lord and say, Lord, I believe that. You know what the Lord said to Jeremiah 10 verses later? This is what Jeremiah said to the Lord. I'll read it again. I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Jeremiah's writing, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Ten verses later, the Lord talks to Jeremiah. You know what he says? Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Let's pinpoint it. Let's narrow it down. It's so easy to sit back here and say, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you all, having all sufficiency in all things, be abound into every good work. In Corinthians 9 8. God is able to make all grace abound One of the verses I rest upon is the fact that I'm asking the Lord that we might serve every good work in America and the world. Somehow, somewhere. And I'm basing it on the, the promise of 2 Corinthians 9 because I believe that God is able to make all grace abound toward us that we, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto what? The navigator's work? To every good work. And that verse was started to be claimed years ago. And I didn't know how in the world we could be able to help some of the brethren whose hearts were closed to us. And I'm seeing it today. I'm seeing young men in seminary that are getting a vision of some of these, not NAV principles, New Testament principles, if you please. Sort of a few of the lost links. And they're beginning to see it makes sense. And though they're not getting it actually in the lecture room, they're getting it by their own searchings of the Scripture, and they're applying it. And I can see the handwriting on the... I see that it's not far off when it's going to permeate right down through every group in the world. Can't help it. And the groups that don't embrace these simple things of man-to-man and producing reproducers, they're just going to be... They're just going to see the... The things blossoming them all around. I believe they'll just, if they don't aren't willing to accept it, if we tell them about it, they're going to be willing to accept it rather than be left in the dust. I close with this. This part of the Nav story. Some of you have heard it. Most of you have heard it. I'd like every one of you to take one of these, not primarily to see what our venture is, what has been accomplished or what we hope to accomplish. If you don't do anything else, just put some glue here and some glue there and glue there and just use this as a prayer list for us, please. And when you pray for the NAVs, would you pray that the Lord will help us to make some of these red dots long? Because the black dots show where we have answered calls and are working with the people and helping get the native to work. And the red dots are some of the most urgent calls, not all of them. There's only 26 or 7 of them here. The next one on the list here is Kenya. You heard about what the Lord is doing already. A week ago we didn't have but a few hundred dollars toward the venture. What's the need? What's the need of the hour for Kenya? Two or three men. Okay, we got the men. What about the money? I'll tell you, the money is easy. 
If he can't do it anyway, I believe if God's got the man ready, he's going to give the supply. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and nobody ever took them away from him. He owns all the silver and all the gold. They're mine, say the Lord. And you give him a man that he created and that backslid and that accepted him as Savior, and if that man will present himself a living sacrifice in reality, that's what God wants. God isn't looking for money. He's looking for men. And the minute he gets the man, he's got him where he wants him, he'll move him to the next place and the next place. I used to have a little map of the world that I used to sit before me, and I'd put my fingers on some of these islands down here. Australia, New Zealand, Okinawa, Formosa. And I said, Lord, let me win men for you in these countries. Now that came about not by a sermon from a pulpit with a challenge on the need of the hour. That came from a simple verse of scripture, Jeremiah 3.3, in the next chapter up to the one I just read. Jeremiah said to the Lord, Lord, you're the God of all flesh. Nothing's too hard for you. Ten verses later, the Lord says to Jeremiah, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And then just a few verses later, he says, All right, the proof of it is calling to me. And I will answer. That's what Jesus said when he said, Verily, verily, the things of that I do shall you do, and greater things than these shall you do, because I go to my Father, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. You know, I used to use that verse for asking just for 50 cents and a dollar. I don't use it anymore. I use Matthew 7, 7 when I go for stuff. But when I go for works, where he says, Greater works than these shall ye do, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I not give, but do. That's what he said here. I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things. And I found a fellow, Walt. And I said, Walt, do you believe this verse? He said, Yes. I said, I do too, but I've never seen it. The verse says, Call, and I'll show you the things you haven't seen. How could I have seen it? I said, I'd like to see that. And so we started a prayer meeting every, every morning. And we set it to be at a certain spot with the fire built and going strong at five. Not one minute after five. We just made a date. And we met him for six, 42 days straight. And we prayed two hours in the weekdays and we met at four on Sunday. And we prayed for those Sunday school boys I told you about and the Sunday school. And we prayed for them all by name. We prayed for Harbor City and Torrance and, and Long Beach and San Pedro and Los Angeles and Pasadena and the surrounding cities from which I had received calls from young Christian fellows saying, if you'll come over here and show me how you're reaching these boys. And I prayed for those areas. In the third and fourth week, we began to extend up the coast, San Francisco, Oakland, Seattle, and Portland. We said, Lord, use us in these cities. And by the fourth or fifth week, we had taken in every state in the Union. And we listed it. Washington, Oregon. And we say, Lord, use us to win young men to you in the state of Oregon. Use us to win young men in Massachusetts. And every morning we pray for every one of the 48 states. And then near the, about the sixth week, I don't know which said to the other, but the subject came up something like this. If, we, if God is big enough, if we believe God is big enough to let us win men in every one of the 48 states, let's go whole hog. Let's go all out. And we brought ourselves a little world map and we stuck it up in the hill up there, the Palo Verdes Hills clip, where we used to go, and we left it overnight and covered it with a bush and we pulled this old map of the world out and we prayed that the Lord would use us in China and in Japan and in Korea. And at the end of 42 days, I, I felt a burden with it. I began to stop asking God to do it, and I began to thank Him He was going to do it. Now, now faith is, is the substance of things hopeful. And faith, substance is substance. It's reality. It's something you can believe in. 
Now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and we claim the promises as we pray, but as we took the promises and as, as we prayed, that the, these were the promises, the brick and prayer was putting them together. And we prayed and at the end of 40 day, two days, we began to thank the Lord. I said, I, I, I said, we've asked for the word. We can't ask for Mars. Let's, let's, we've, we've got our chitty. I don't know whether we call it chit, but we got our request. And we stopped our prayer meeting. In 48 hours, I was in a hospital and on the flat of my back for one week. Not a lot of time to think. And the Minutemen idea came. And it was out of the Minutemen idea that the Navigator's work was born. And four years later, three or four years later, I'm not sure, I was rummaging in a drawer in a, in, a, in a little table in the living room and I pulled out a little, I found a little purple card, Washington, Oregon. And over in the other drawer was a board. And the board was this big and it was this high. And on it was Les Spencer, Illinois. John Dedrick, Texas. Gurney Harris, Arkansas. Ed Goodrich, Wisconsin. And I, I, I took the thing and I began to look. And I found that men from every one of the 48 states had come to the Savior. He'd answered. And they were be being trained as disciples. Then I thought of the world. Today, I look at this map. And I remember that. And I say, why, Lord, am I permitted to have a part in this? For the same reason you are. All power in heaven and earth is mine. It's mine. Just go take it. I'm, I not only re want you to have the privilege, I am ordering you to go take it. I don't want anything less. I don't want you to take an island. I want you to take the world. What are you asking God for? What do you want? You want to win a few? You let the few be included in, in the world. You'll have to start on a few. And you've got to be successful with it. And you can be. Because Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And no man ever followed Jesus and didn't become a fisher of men. He never failed in what he promised to do. He said, you follow, I'll make you fishing. And if you're not fishing, you're not following. Remember what B.B. said? I believe it. You can do it. You've got to win one before you can win five, and five before you can win 500. But it's there and the world is yours. How big is your fit? The need of the hour, as far as I'm concerned, is to want what Jesus Christ wants and to believe that he wants us to get it and to believe that he's given us the power to do it and then that there's nothing in the world that can stop us. Do you believe that? Want to have a part? You can have it, but you've got to ask. Call and I will show you. Things you can't even comprehend. In fact, you can ask for the... You can, you can have bigger things. I wasn't thinking as big as I'm seeing in Formosa. Because he said, call and I will answer thee and I'll show you things you, you don't even think about to pray, but you call and ask big. Shall we pray? We have just listened to Dawson Trotman explain that the need of the hour is not more people, money programs, equipment, or other things that are often thought to be the problem. The need is for people who believe God and are willing to ask big and step out on faith.